0: Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. As with so many statements in the Bible, an overly literal interpretation of this line will lead us to some strange places. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed, could lead us to conclude that the more evidence we require for our faith, the worse we are as Christians. In this interpretation, the gullible and naive receive the kingdom of God, while the rational and skeptical will suffer long in purgatory. In this overly literal interpretation, Christians become exactly the parody seen in popular media of unthinking, anti-scientific Luddites who read their Bibles and nothing else. But we know this cannot be the proper interpretation of the Lord's words, because the central character in this narrative is St. Thomas, the revered apostle to the East and foundation stone of the Church. And St. Peter, St. James, St. John, and St. Paul, the greatest of the great apostles, all also required evidence before they believed. In the empty tomb and in the upper room, or possibly in a voice on the way to Damascus. Clearly, relying on evidence to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the gospel is not a threat to one's sanctity. What's more, this same gospel reports that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In the first reading reports that awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The Lord himself seems to have decided that signs and wonders were necessary to strengthen the early church. So, if evidence is not the enemy, what does the Lord mean when he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed? I think a phrase that Bishop Robert Barron uses a lot can be helpful here. He says that faith is not irrational, meaning that it is not opposed to reason or evidence. Instead, faith is supra-rational, meaning that it builds on reason but goes beyond it. In other words, the fault of St. Thomas was not that he required evidence. It is that he never allowed the evidence offered to him to be enough. St. Thomas was presented not only with the empty tomb, which he himself would have seen at this point, but also with the testimony of the other disciples who had seen the risen Lord. St. Thomas demanded that the Lord be present and observable according to his standards, standards that he himself believed were impossibly high. My friends, I see this dynamic play out all the time, in people's faith lives. In order to be convinced of the presence of God and the truth of the Church, or some particular question of discernment, they lay out a specific standard and say, unless this specific thing happens, I will not believe. Again, St. Thomas, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But that is not how God works. God does not give in to our flawed, entitled, and all-too-human demands. God knows what we need better than we ourselves do. Each of us, like St. Thomas, has already been given all of the evidence we need to believe in Jesus and the Church. The question is whether we are willing to open our hearts to this evidence and not be unbelieving, but believe. Now, what do I mean when I say that all of us have already received all of the evidence we need to believe in Jesus and the Catholic faith? After all, most of us have not experienced a physical miracle or been privileged to touch the nail marks in Jesus' hands. What I mean is that we often overlook the ordinary because it is ordinary, even though it may be sufficient proof of the presence and power of God. St. Thomas, for example, ignored the testimony of his friends as all too common and unconvincing. We want something flashy and undeniable, But those those things are rarely given to us. The philosopher Peter Kreeft explains it this way, and I'm paraphrasing here. Yes, God could immediately convince every single person in the world that he exists. He could put big, flashy gold letters in the sky that spell out, I am God and I am real. And we could examine those letters with the best science we have, and we could find no logical explanation for why those letters are up in the sky. But, even though that might convince our mind, it would be terrible for our heart, because we would never need to search for God. And it is the search that expands our hearts to to reveal God's love and make space for it. And, even then, even with no other explanation, there would also still be plenty of people who, for their own emotional or moral reasons, would refuse to believe that God exists, regardless of the giant letters in the sky. Well, the same is true of our daily existence. Our lives and our world are filled with evidence of God, especially truth, beauty, and goodness. God, we know, is the most true, the most good, and the most beautiful entity that exists. So everything true, everything good, and everything beautiful is ultimately pointing us to him. But we often fail to allow this evidence to convince us. The modern tendency is to see these things and to attribute them to the human spirit, as though humanity on its own, without any sort of divine spark or influence, would be capable of the greatest works of culture and learning. I know too many humans to believe this. No, there is too much truth, too much goodness, and too much beauty in an otherwise flawed, corrupted, and fallen world for there to be any other explanation than a loving and creative God. The evidence is there. We just refuse to believe it and follow it to its logical conclusion. Now, many people would actually concede that truth, beauty, and goodness do point to the existence of God. But even beyond God himself, I would say this evidence also points to the Catholic faith. Personally, I am most attracted to truth, and it is the pursuit of truth that made me Catholic. It was in high school that I first fell in love with the doctrines of the Catholic faith— I had never experienced a thought system so logical, so well-designed, so consistent, and so helpful in understanding reality. The intelligence of the Church was overwhelming. The more I delved into the faith, the more truth I glimpsed, the harder it was to look anywhere else. In fact, I fell in love with the Catholic Church long before I cared about Jesus— And it was only my love for the Church that eventually led me to care about and enter into a relationship with the Lord. Other people are attracted to goodness. They see acts of service, of self-sacrifice, and they know they are glimpsing God. Well, here again, it is not for nothing that in this country the Catholic Church is the largest social services agency behind the government itself. And in many countries, not even the government does as much work as the church. And then there are the people who are attracted primarily to beauty. Again, where can more beauty be found than in the Catholic Church? Maybe this is just my bias, but when I visit an art or a history museum, there always seems to be a point in the timeline where the displays transition from being beautiful to being something else. Maybe functionalist, maybe avant-garde, but not beautiful. The beauty always seems to end right at the point that the culture turned away from Catholicism. I am not saying that the Church perfectly reflects the face of God. We are all painfully aware of the ways, especially in the last 50 years, in which the Church has denied and even become the enemy of truth, beauty, and goodness. But I am saying that if we look for God where truth, beauty, and goodness can be found, there is no place with more of any of the three, let alone all of the three, than the Catholic Church. The evidence is there, but will we allow ourselves to be convinced? My brothers and sisters in Christ, God gave us a brain and He expects us to use it. The skepticism of science and rationality is not our enemy, it is our friend. And it helps us use our intelligence to its fullest. But when we are wrestling with a question, we need to honestly ask ourselves, what would convince us? Science creates the standards, usually something called a p-value. And we would do well to be honest about our own standards in theological discourse. What would convince us of the existence of God, of the resurrection, of the truth of the Catholic faith? St. Thomas created a standard that he he thought was impossibly high, because he did not believe in the resurrection and did not believe he could be convinced. The Lord rebukes him for his hard-heartedness, even while meeting St. Thomas's unnecessarily high standard. Are we being like St. Thomas with our standards? Are we creating impossible standards because we do not want to be convinced? Or are we willing to honestly look at the evidence around us and give it a fair reading? Are we willing to allow truth, beauty, and goodness to convince us? Are we willing to listen to the testimony of our friends who have seen and know the Lord? Are we willing to walk in integrity and follow the proof wherever it leads? Are we willing to give up our unbelief and believe?